use your words, describe it to me. I mean, if, if you say, what does an angry black man look like? It's what I see during riots and protests and it's less on TV. Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I've seen Al Sharpton as an angry black man at times. I can't say that I ever saw Martin Luther King as an angry black man. He, I, he was a passive black man. In, 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 but it, to me, an, ang an angry black man is, is big and, and loud and in your face and non-apologetic and out to get piece of you. Okay, that last part, out to get a piece of you. He's threatening. Yes, thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Okay, I was waiting for that word to come out. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. not always politically correct no you're not but that's okay i enjoy I'm, you're speaking for me you know I, yeah. I, I i'm just i'm i'm enjoying it living through you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i've always wanted to be black you've always wanted to be white so what I, could i say <laughs> I know, i've always tried to be white but now and now i'm getting there <laughs> yeah you know who's i listening to there was a um shoot it'll come to me but, uh, you know, just somebody throughout the process was, you know, felt a forced need to be white in, in terms of bringing their voice. Oh, it was on a, it was on a, a TV show. And, and basically, um, she was a, a patient in, in, a, in a hospital, but she was loud and boisterous. And the doctor who was taking care of her, who was black, this was a black woman. And the doctor who was taking care of her, who was also a black woman, was very quiet, very um, and and the uh, and they got into an argument or a discussion of, about trying to you know trying to be white and uh, toning it down and and not being loud and boisterous and everything else and it was interesting because in this book that I just got done finished reading about talking about race this black woman was talking about toning her voice down and 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 and, and trying to sound white and it's like I, I feel and then of course watching Roots and it's like damn. Dude, my heart goes to you because you are living in a world that's forcing you to to change color uh, just to be accepted. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's amazing that you brought that up. My entire career has been about not being white, but being being compliant. That's the word. Being compliant to white expectations and. It's amazing what that means for a black man as opposed to a black woman. There are some things that are race related, and then there are some things that are peculiar to gender. When I say angry black man, and I use that a lot with you, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm an angry black man because, you know, because of this or that, what image does that raise in in you? Joe Frazier, okay. Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X. Ken Norton, both as a boxer and, and as Mandingo. <laughs> you know, that's what it raises to me. 
that so, was more of the visual. Use your words. Describe it to me. Uh, I mean, if if you say, "What does an angry black man look like?" It's what I see during riots and protests, and it's less on TV. Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I've seen Al Sharpton as an angry black man at times. I can't say that I ever saw Martin Luther King as an angry black man. He, I, he was a passive black man. In, 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 but it, to me, an, ang an angry black man is, is big and, and loud and in your face and non-apologetic and out to get piece of you. Okay, that last part, out to get a piece of you. He's threatening. Yes, thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Okay, I was waiting for that word to come out. Well, it, it, the people I chose. In yes, I know. Boxers. They're, yeah. They're th yeah, you picked boxers. And, and I, quick, I couldn't think of the term. Until you got to Malcolm X. Yeah. But he was yeah. just as threatening. Right. Without being a boxer. Right. Because he was willing to enforce his Second Amendment rights and say, I, I have a right to have a gun to defend myself. Right. So he was threatening. Right, angry black man image. Freddie Harmon, Black Panthers. Yeah, the angry black man image is threatening. Yes. Right, and that threatening image has been cultivated over centuries. That's why I was asked at ten years old not to run through the front door of my white friend or my white—I don't call them a friend anymore because I, I suddenly got separated. But it was because at 10 years old, even at 10 years old, people began to see characteristics of a black man. And black men in general are considered threats. Those are stereotypes. Those are, yeah, but, but they're threatening. Now, they're threats just, to, you know, that's why when I walk down the street, uh, uh, in an urban environment, a white woman who has a purse clutches it or switches it to the other side. Because just being a black man makes me threatening. If I am laughing loudly, I'm more threatening. If I'm telling a joke loudly, I'm more threatening. If I'm uh, if I'm uh, 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 frenetic in my in my uh, behavior, not not a seizure, just frenetic. If I'm if I'm waving my hand in a discussion with my wife, I'm threatening. And every situation I just described, I was having fun, but to that person, to that white woman. She's been trained with stereotypes. And if she was in a car and I was passing by the car, I would hear the car door lock. Now, take that image, take that, that expectation, take that indoctrination and put it in a workplace, put it in a more refined workplace, like a dean's office, and imagine the waters I have to navigate to do my job. I can't be myself 
Now, one might say that an accomplished administrator wouldn't be yelling anyway. One might say that an accomplished administrator would find a way to express themselves in a, in a uh, non-intimidating, non-emotional demeanor. But I don't know about you, but when I was a younger faculty member, I was yelled at all the time when I screwed up. Or I heard him yelling when he was upset, but he was a white man. I remember one time when um, something as simple as writing too many letters became an issue. And uh, that it's a whole nother story. And it's that was at another institution. But anyway, he called to this person into a room and he had the, the director of operations there. And he walked into the room and he said, let me introduce myself. My name is Dr. So-and-so and so-and-so. I'm the dean here at college, in case you didn't know. And I'm getting sick and tired of all these letters that are coming out. This is not how you solve problems. And I watched him essentially berate this faculty member, but he was, he was effective. And I adopted some of his character, characteristics, not understanding I couldn't do the same thing. That when I did it, it wasn't just intimidating, it was threatening. Not only that, who the hell did I think I was treating them like a child? I'm surprised that you could actually have and I'm sensitized to it, even though I only have a staff of three and they're all women. I'm surprised you can you can comfortably close your door and have a meeting with a female white faculty member without having a witness in the room. Well, it's not that bad. Well, I, but I'm, see, I'm, I'm suggesting that that's not just a university setting and it's not just a black male setting. That is a current hashtag me too issue. I understand. And uh, it, it only gets exacerbated by the color of your skin and your, and your uh, leadership position. No, I understand. Part of it has to do with your, um, your character. Right. There are some people that I have to, I, I, that I have, to have a witness. It's, it's, not about, it's not about whether the door is open or closed. That doesn't matter. Right. I have to tell you, I'm not very good at controlling my voice. <laughs> and, and I do get excited. And I do get uh, passionate. And it is reflected in the tone of my voice. I've never learned that. And I have an intensity in my voice that is naturally intimidating. And it is a disadvantage that it's the one thing I have the least control over in combination with my skin color. Your baritone can get a little bit, uh, the, the depth of your voice can, can well, probably it, it, be intimidating. Yes, it's my baritone, it's the syncopation of my right. baritone. Uh, I'm a singer, so I've learned how to express my emotions through my voice. I didn't know you were a singer. Oh, yeah. But I'm not singing now. And so, uh, <laughs> I'll so, stop the recording just to hear a, a song. <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> no, I wouldn't stop it. I would just keep it running. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's just something else. That's like the It's like the talk. Yeah. It's just yeah. one more thing thing that you have to do. It's interesting because the cadence, the rhyming, the musical messaging of a Muhammad Ali, of a Martin Luther King, of a pastor at a Southern Baptist church, mm -hmm. this is, I would love to emulate that, mm -hmm. you know, so that ability to, to be able to, to have a, a cadence that it's rhythmic, it's musical in, in many ways and and so the 
perception of having to tone that down in a white world because that's perceived as black threatening is unfortunate because I really enjoyed listening to that cadence in, in any of a number of different ways. Yeah, and thing is that you don't have to tone it down all the time. I mean, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I mean, Martin Luther King sang all the time. His speeches were nothing but songs. Yeah. You don't speak that way in normal conversation. He didn't. When he gave speeches, that was just a way of singing. That was the that was a form of song. He elongated his words. He elongated his vowels, but he did it in a conversational tone. But if you really listen to him, he was always on key. He had he had his own key. And it was pleasant. Now, now he could do the same thing when he would if he had to reprimand you. And that same cadence, that same syncope can be devastating to you personally if he is pointing out a deficiency in your character or if he's describing poor performance on your part or if he's expressing disappointment in you. That same cadence that, that you enjoyed so much from the pulpit can rip you apart one-on-one. And what I had to learn was, was that that same intensity that you feel, that you felt from Martin Luther King when you listened to him, that intensity from that speaker's pulpit was felt across a congregation, across an audience. You don't use that kind of intensity on one person. It's, it's like throwing a hand grenade when all you want to do is pinch the person. And so I have, I've had to learn when to bring out the big guns and when not. And I've also had to learn, and this was this isn't racial as much as it is communication. I also had to learn the impact that I had on others. And I probably didn't learn it until society caught up with, it's not what you intended to make me feel, it's how I felt that's important. So I found that the term that goes back to our original conversation. Goes that. Tone policing. Tone policing. I've never heard that. Came out of the book I was listening to. It's where you have to police your tone. Oh, voice yes. Yes. Yeah. To um, accommodate the um, world in which you live. Mm -hmm. So tone policing is, again, it's another one of those... Um, phrases that I hadn't heard of or even thought of again until becoming more and more invested in in the world that I'm living in and and uh, um, you know trying to get past the white privilege thing and, and understand the challenges that continue to exist that's another white privilege I can't tell you how many times I've seen a white female lose it become shrill and then apologize and it's okay it's acceptable i can't tell you how many times i've seen a white male do the same thing punch the wall slam the door and then come back and apologize and just say i'm sorry i didn't i i, I missed lunch 
you know, I had a headache, whatever my reason was, it's not, it's never going to happen again. If I did that, if I lost it one day, I mean, just really lost it. The first of all, when I have seen white males turn red, the neck thickens. You can see their biceps tensing. But I don't feel as if they're going to punch me. I don't feel threatened. I'm just sitting there watching. What's going on? What's wrong with you? How can I help? So we don't have a perception of an angry white man. No. By the time I know you're angry, that angry, you've hit me. Or I see the punch coming and I, and, I, and I realize, oh, I better defend myself. And the stereotype is I'm athletic enough to do that. <laughs> you know, that I can wait to the last minute and dodge a blow. But if I just frown too intensely, if I start spitting when I talk, the next thought is, is, is he about to get violent? And even if I never touch you, I should do a parody. I should have a, a white man lose it then have a black man do the exact same thing. You don't think Richard Pryor did that on one of his uh, comedy shows or? Uh... He probably did. <laughs> Flip Wilson but or he, somebody? But he probably, but he accentuated. Yeah. You know, but my point is, is that I could, I could mimic that behavior and I would be interpreted as a personal threat. Dangerous threatening. And that's a privilege that you all have. So you're saying we get the benefit of the doubt just by being white? Yeah. Either that or you've created that benefit by demonizing blacks. Absolutely. It's spot on. I mean, there's, there's plenty of TV shows and, and cartoons and news articles and, and everything else that just that has put that bias as a stereotype. Yeah. You know, that plays into the corporate world, too. Yeah, It manifests itself in ways that we don't always recognize. So it, it's got to be stressful to spend your life having to think through everything you are going to say or do before you say or do it. In other words, you've got to control every one of your reactions and change them into a response that is acceptable in the world. In a perfect world. Yeah. But I love your intuition here. The point is, is that there's an added stress. Right. Right. You do the same thing. Everybody, every successful administrator has to think about what they're going to say next. Right. But I do have to break through the veneer race as part of my thought process. It's the same thing as you didn't, you don't have to have a talk with your, with your kids. Right. About police. Just train them as they come up. But there's no special talk that says, okay, you know what? I know I told you to respect the police and everything, but now here's how you survive an encounter. That's an added stress. You know, everybody has the sex talk. At some point, everybody is going to have that talk with the child if they're good. Some of us have another talk. That's an added stress. Everybody has the stress of, what am I going, how am I going to explain sex to my child? And when do I do it? And what do I say? And it was interesting because even in Roots, going back to Africa, they had the talk, and I think they even called it that, with Kunta Kinte in Africa. Yeah, they did. Two bobs. Here's, here's how you deal with a two bob. They right. taught white man two bob. It's 400 years in the making or more. Or more. They weren't the police. They were slavers. Yes. Yes. Well, 
You know, they weren't just white people. They weren't native fauna of the forest. No. No, no. They were about as foreign as they could be at that point in time. And they were there for a purpose. Correct. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.